Sometimes you just need a quick overview of the news. Other times you need a deeper understanding of what's going on. The Rundown Podcast has all of that, and it's Chicago-based, so you know what's up in your neighborhood and across town. Listen to The Rundown wherever you get your podcasts. Medical bills are the most common debt showing up on Americans' credit reports. That's according to the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, but that could soon change. I'm Michael Puente, filling in for Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. The Biden administration has tasked the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau with creating rules to remove medical debt from your credit report. And that could be a game changer for a lot of folks who have watched their credit scores tank because of an old hospital or doctor's office bill. We turn to a few experts to learn how this could impact folks locally. Edith Avila Olea is a policy manager for the Illinois Coalition for Immigrant and Refugee Rights and Carrie Chapman is the Senior Director of Litigation Advocacy for the Legal Council for Health Justice. Carrie says she's optimistic about this change. It's an incredibly uh, significant change to the law. Um, we're really excited about the Biden administration um, letting us know that they're going to be promulgating a rulemaking. So we all know there's statutory law, the law passed by Congress and signed by the president. Um, and then there's regulatory law. So federal agencies like the um, Consumer uh, Financial Protection Bureau uh, also issue regulations and those become law. And so this regulatory law would make it so that medical debt would not be reported on your credit report, um, which it currently is now in most states. Um, and that's obviously really significant for folks because credit reports are increasingly being used for people who are applying for jobs, who are applying for housing, who need to get a car for work. Um, and so the impact of carrying that medical debt is really significant. Now, Edith, you were in D.C. earlier this month urging the government to address this issue Tell us how you felt when you heard the Biden administration announce plans to remove medical debt from credit reports. Uh, yes. So we were there, uh, I guess, about two weeks ago, and uh, we were very excited, one, because this is an issue that we've been working on for months, um, for years, and uh, in, some or, in some way or another. And so it's really exciting to see, right, that you go, you make the travel, you take your community member, you share the stories you sh- of impact that it has on um community members and and then you see them take action right so it's one of those things where you're always encouraging community members to get involved encouraging them to share the stories encouraging them um to be to take that courageous step right um to uh share their story publicly it takes a lot of um energy and and um in a way it's a way to empower the individual um and so we're able to see that change, right? It doesn't always happen like that. Um, usually it takes, it's a lot longer, um, but we were very um, excited and proud to be, have been a, a part of that uh, cohort that went up there. Now, Edith, when you went to D.C., uh, you went along with a Chicagoan who has struggled with medical debt after her husband was, di- was diagnosed with epilepsy. We're going to play a clip from her. La cantidad del hospital cuando me dijo que Arturo debía más de ocho mil dólares, todo era un caos. Recién habíamos comprado nuestra casa y no teníamos ahorros, no teníamos nada. So she just said when they told her that her husband owed more than eight thousand dollars, it was chaos. They had just bought a house, they had no savings, they had nothing. 
Edith, you're familiar with her story. At one point, you say the family was counting pennies to survive. So tell me what happened there. Why did she end up with this medical debt? Right. So the family, um, it's a family that we work with um, all the time now because um, the individual that you sh- um, shared her story, her name is Saida, and she's now a community health worker based on her experience. Um, well, uh, as you already shared, they had just purchased a house when her husband had this um, unexpected sudden emergency. And, and this story is unfortunately what happens to thousands of families, right? Uh, it happens all the time. Um, but be, they were uninsured. He was uninsured. And he, um, even though she had requested hospital financial assistance from the hospital, she was uh, informed incorrectly that she, they were not eligible for hospital financial assistance. Um, and so because of that, right, it really started this mountain of bills, um, not only the mountain come. Uh, of bills coming from the hospital um, and the medical fo- the follow up medical appointments that they needed um, to um, stabilize his condition, um, but also from the the uh, house and the utilities. He was the pro- sole provider for the family, and um, obviously he was a truck driver. And so, because of his condition, uh, he was told that he could no longer um, remain a truck driver, and she was not working at the time. Um, so they lost their um, financial provider uh, and essentially then um, didn't have any income coming in um, and nothing but bills coming in as well. And so um, she also notes um, in her story that um, she had a book bag of just bills that she had no way of understanding on top of, you know, the new diagnosis that she her husband had sh- sh- received. They were trying to navigate like just taking care of his health, um, you know, making sure that he was going to be well um, and stable for um, the, their family. Uh, and so the bills were an added stress. Um, and ultimately, she ended up attending um, a training led by our organization in which she learned about more about the requirements around hospital financial assistance. Um, and after approaching her, we, uh, based on our understanding of the hospital's policy, she did qualify. And so we organized a meeting with the hospital staff, those who, um, you know, had the power to um, change the uh, incorrect decision that had been made or the, the incorrect information that had been shared with her. Um, and they ended up apologizing noting that she did qualify and that it should have never happened. So um, the consequences were very extreme for her. They ended up selling a family vehicle to be able to pay just the house bills um, and, and just to keep the roof over their head. And all for a mistake. Right. All for a mistake, an error that was made um, that should have never happened. Now, Carrie, you have helped people navigate the legal side of this. Are medical bills, like medical bill errors, a common issue that you see? We do find that they're common. So we find a couple of different mistakes. Um, one we find is that people may be eligible for hospital financial assistance or for public insurance like Medicaid or our Medicaid lookalike programs in Illinois, and they just didn't know about it and didn't ask for it, which is why it's extremely important, the effort that ICER has led 
um, to pass legislation that was recently signed into law um, that requires Illinois hospitals starting next summer to screen people for hospital financial assistance and for public insurance, which means that instead of you getting a bill and having to call the hospital and ask for help, the hospital needs to reach out to you in the first instance um, and say, if you're uninsured and you think you might have trouble paying this bill, we want to tell you what your options are. So that's incredibly important. Um, we also find that there are uh, mistakes in bills because there are complicated interactions between the provider and the insurance company. Um, and so sometimes you get a bill for something that ultimately the insurance is going to pay, um, or you get a bill for an amount um, that's higher than you should be charged. Um, you get a bill for the charge master rate instead of the actual lower rate that as an uninsured person under Illinois law is the limit of what you can be charged. So we do see mistakes in a lot of bills. We also see folks who have had their insurance company approve a procedure in advance and then revoke that approval after they've undergone the procedure. So they go into the procedure thinking that they have managed their financial risk and then all of a sudden the floor falls out from underneath them when the insurance company, after the fact, says we won't cover. Gary, do we know why medical debt in the first place is on credit reports since it's not? You didn't apply for this. This is something that happened to you. It's not credit. So why is it on credit reports? You know, it's a really frustrating situation. I think it is on credit reports in part because the collections industry um, believes that it is an important tool for making people pay their bills. But I think that is really a misstatement of the reality of healthcare. right? It's not a consumer good. You don't decide, I need triple bypass surgery. I think I'm going to you know, buy the Cadillac of triple bypass surgery. So it's nothing like the other kind of consumer goods. And we actually know from studies that it's not reflective of your credit worthiness. So a lot of research has been done that showed that even people with medical debt are very credit-worthy folks because, again, this is an expense that you take on that you can't control, that you can't predict. Hospital bills are very unclear, um, and hospital pricing is unclear. You can't price shop. And so the idea that it's like any other consumer good, which is appropriate to show up on your credit report, I think we're just debunking. That's right. Um, some medical providers are warning that this could make it harder to pay their own bills, basically, that will that this will stop motivating people to pay back their medical debt. And Carrie, you're mentioning talking a little bit about that. What's your reaction to that argument? Uh, so I find that incredibly frustrating. I don't think there's any question that people want to to pay their medical debt if it's a reasonable amount. Um, I think people, first of all, if we had a system in which hospitals routinely and effectively screen people for hospital financial assistance, that's that's the place to start. Um, and uh, I also think it, um, that it also is an issue of race justice, right? We know that medical debt is carried disproportionately by black and brown individuals and primarily in places where they don't have access to health coverage. Um, and so it's frustrating to me that the systemic racism that led to them to being excluded from health coverage is then compounded by economic harm to them when they can't pay their bills. And uh, it, the bills are reported on their credit, which means that their economic potential is limited. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I have gotten hospital bills myself a year after a procedure. There, it, I think it's completely unfair to say, oh, I don't want to pay that bill. I'm very surprised by that bill a year later and in a reasonable amount. And even if I've budgeted very carefully and been thoughtful, 
that's a surprise bill for me, and I'm very unlikely to be able to pay it. So our clients tend to be individuals for whom a $500 bill means the difference between eating or not eating, staying housed or not staying housed. Well, let's talk a little bit about what who this change could impact the most. Edith, you work for a nonprofit centered around immigrants. We heard one story already. How are immigrants particularly impacted by medical debt? Uh, right. And so I think uh, what Carrie mentioned earlier, the fact that uh, credit um, medical debt on your credit report can obviously impact your ability to um, rent a home, your ability to buy a car, your ability to get employed. Um, those are, uh, are impacts that immigrants feel as well. But in addition, um, there is always this fear, right, um, that immigrants have, especially if they are uninsured or maybe they are undocumented or um, don't fully understand their health rights. Um, they have fears just seeking medical care um, in the first place. And so then you can add that fear with the idea of having medical debt. Um, and if an immigrant um, who is undocumented might uh, ever has the opportunity of adjusting their status in the future, uh, there is a potential right that um, the uh, in that process of adjusting their status, their credit would be run, and it does have an impact. And so there's always that fear. Um, the technical term is, mm-hmm. is the fear of public charge. That's what we use. Uh, many immigrants don't necessarily identify public charge. They might um, identify the fear of, you know, if, uh, will medical debt um, hurt my um, ability to adjust in the future or will it hurt my children's ability to adjust in the future? And so there's there's always this ongoing fear around um, the potential uh, future impact of medical debt, but then also um, the, the current fear and the fact that people, uh, immigrants generally do not want um, to share their information with government sources. And so it takes courage for them to seek care, um, for instance, in a hospital to begin with. Um, and then um, there's that added fear, right, of this po- po- the information that they share within the hospital to be shared um, with other sources. And so um, we work on um, we training uh, immigrants and educating them about their health rights. Um, we use the uh, term health know your rights. And so it's all about equipping immigrants with um the information that they need about the rights that they have to access health care, um, the fact that, you know, their information is protected by federal laws like HIPAA um, and that they have a right to hospital financial assistance regardless of their immigration status or their insurance uh, if, if they are uninsured um, because of um, federal laws and state laws that exist around charity care. Uh, let's talk timeline. You know, it's going to take a long time. Um, sometimes it takes federal rulemaking takes a while. So what's happening in Illinois, Carrie? What are, what are some of the protections um, being proposed? So we have a law called the Hospital Uninsured Patient Discount Act, and that sets um, requirements for hospitals to provide free or reduced cost care based on people's income. Um, and so it's a great and strong law. And what's coming in the summer of 2024 is this requirement under that law and others um, that hospitals have to reach out to folks and talk to uninsured folks about hospital financial assistance and about programs like Medicaid. Um, So we are going to be in a situation where instead of you getting a bill and feeling that fear and feeling overwhelmed by getting that bill, because I don't care what your income or work situation is, if an $8,000 bill arrives in the mail, it strikes fear in your heart. It strikes fear in my heart. 
Um, and so now instead of you getting that bill and not really knowing what to do, um, hospitals are going to be engaging with you when you're getting your care and follow-up to say, here are options if you are uninsured and you're concerned about paying this bill. Um, and we are really hopeful that both that screening requirement and the reporting that's uh, going along with it in the bill will show us what's really happening in Illinois nonprofit and tax-exempt hospitals um, so that if there are any issues with implementation of the screening, we can fix them down the road. Um, Edith, what 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 other protections would you like to to see um, under the federal or even state guidelines? Right. So I think we always uh, talk about accountability, right? And so I think right now there's a, the system tends to blame the patient, right? If bills go uninsured, and uh, I'm sorry, if if bills go unpaid, and and um, we work with um, uh, collection agencies who tend to practice harmful. Um, who tend to have harmful practices, right, and targeting patients and that cannot afford these medical bills. And so I think um, when we talk about state laws um, around charity care, we really want to see increased accountability from uh, for hospitals, right, who are already required um, to be um, sharing their hospital financial assistance uh, applications, um, but really are uh, sometimes doing it not in a in a way that's transparent or that is accessible for patients, um, and and when specifically when it comes to immigrants, we um, really want to see laws strengthened around language access um, because often we find that um, patients literally do not understand uh, the information that's being shared with them, um, and they are not always aware, right, that they might have a right to interpretation or, or translation services. And so we would really um, love to see uh, hospitals being held accountable, right, for providing the language access resources that are is already required of them. And then in addition, um, for hospitals to have uh, policies that are transparent and accessible to patients who need the services um, around hospital financial assistance. Um, let's see, uh, Carrie, what do, you, what do you would like to see in additional protections out there, either under the federal or, or local? Absolutely. So I think that what we really want to capture is the shift of responsibility, right? The responsibility is are on the healthcare entities and particularly the nonprofit tax exempt healthcare entities. So I would like to see those entities who contract out a lot of their services, like their entire emergency department or their entire anesthesia department or radiology. Um, they contract those out to for-profit institutions, and then those for-profit institutions send people bills. So the hospital may offer you hospital financial assistance for your bed for your stay, but you're still getting billed for all these other services by for-profit entities that are not regulated under state law in the same way. I think we need to figure out a different dynamic for that. That episode of the Reset Podcast was produced by Max Lubers, and it was edited by Meha Ahmad. Get the news, politics, and culture happening in Chicago by subscribing to our podcast. We post episodes every morning and afternoon, Monday through Friday, with a bonus episode on Saturdays. Sign up at wbez.org slash Reset News. That's all for today. I'm Michael Puente, in for Sasha Ann Simons, who will be back tomorrow. If you need a break from the news, WBEZ's Nerd App Podcast is here for you. Our show is all about delight. We laugh about what's happening in pop culture and feature thoughtful interviews with fascinating people. We even have a monthly book club. Listen to Nerd App wherever you get your podcasts.